Chapter 11 The moon floated in the sky over Renton, casting its midnight glow down upon an insignificant cluster of willows standing on the outskirts of the small village. A steady breeze blew through the trees, swaying their long lanky arms back and forth, though no one noticed. Chirps of bush crickets and the repetitious hoot of a long-eared owl echoed in the night air. The swaying willows hid the moon above and produced a swath of dancing shadows in the darkness below. The darkness offered a suitable spot for men to meet in secrecy. It was there that Taran and Cirque first conspired. We could do so much for our people if we had a man of passion as king, Taran said. Those fools think Alpin can lead Dalriada. The man has deceived himself as well as the others. He's not able to lead our men to victory over the Vikings. He doesn't have the heart for it. He's been a weakened man ever since he lost his son. Why can't the men see that? Cirque replied. He's afraid to fight, even against the Britons. Why do they think he'll have the heart to fight the Vikings? They are far worse than the Britons. He's a coward. His call for freedom will fall on deaf ears when the men realize he lacks the courage to be king. We can't let this happen to our people. We need a man with the heart to call himself king. Taran said, sowing his seeds. We need the others to see this. Angus, the Pict, is willing to help, Cirque said. He came to Renton several days back, but Alpin refused to listen, his stubbornness will get us all killed. Yes, if Angus were to return to Renton to seek a truce, then the Scots and Picts could align. Together we could stop the Vikings, Taran said, manipulating his words with care. Once we defeat the Vikings, we could turn south, and our armies could bring an end to the Britons. Yes, we could do it. We could crush the Vikings and the Britons. Cirque exclaimed, excited by the possibility of revenge. Shh, Taran warned. Cirque lowered his voice, but Alpin will never concede to Angus. Taran grinned as his patsy took the bait. You're right. You're exactly right, Taran said, feigning as if he'd never considered the thought prior to that moment. I know a few men who would be willing to listen to Angus, men able to lead the Scots when we unite. The men I am thinking of, they will be in Renton in ten days when we assemble to battle the Vikings. Taran strained to look into Cirque's eyes, hardly able to see him in the darkness. Cirque, you must do something for me. Something that will help us all. Cirque nodded. Taran leaned close and whispered in Cirque's ear. Three riders, bearing painted flesh, rode across an open green meadow in northern Dalriada. The sun was high in the noon sky, yet it remained veiled behind an endless expanse of thick grey clouds. The riders moved forward, lofting a long wooden staff with a single white cloth attached to its tip. The riders purposed to show confidence, but in truth, they were unsure if the man they were seeking would respect the white cloth's declaration of peace. The three riders slowed as they crossed the field toward the distant army. There, a countless number of men and horses fanned out across the earth, surrounding a single brown tent. Beside the tent, a blazing red fire burned. Its smoke billowed high into the air. Codron trotted his horse around the northern perimeter of the army of men and beasts. A second Viking trailed behind him. Codron had nearly finished his patrol when he spotted the three riders crossing the field. Codron shouted to his cohort, and the two turned their horses and headed to the center of the camp. Halfton, Codron called from outside his leader's tent. Three riders are approaching from the east. It looks as if others are not far behind, he said with a heavy breath.
Halfton emerged from the large brown tent. He slid his sword into its sheath. Get my horse. He commanded the guard beside the tent, and the man vanished behind the brown tarp. Halfton, Codron, Jorand, and a dozen others mounted and rode to meet the three riders. When they neared the riders, both parties slowed, measuring one another in silence. Halfton peered at the white flag and mused dismissively as it fluttered in the wind. One of the men with painted arms spoke first. I am Diort. We are Picts, servants of Lord Angus. We come in peace, he said, uncertain if the Vikings understood. Halfton released a wad of spit into the air. It landed on the ground beside the Picts. I care not of your lord nor your peace. You'd be wise to return along the path you came and warn your lord of the wrath of Halfton the Black. You speak our language, Diort replied, surprised. Then I trust you know our offer of peace is sincere. A language is easy to master when you surround yourself with servants and slaves who speak such, Halfton replied. This is not our first conquest of your land. As for your peace, we don't need it. We find and take as we desire, and peace is not among our pursuits. Diort tried again, please consider my words and weigh them carefully. Our warriors, too, are strong. The people to the south, the Dalriadans, they as well are capable of assembling a sizable army, and they are tenacious fighters when their land and lives are at stake. We have seen and heard of the destruction brought by your Vikings. We know of your strength. My Lord Angus respects your strength. Though you are capable of much, if you pursue an untimely battle with the Picts and Dalriadans, your losses may be more severe than you're willing to bear. I simply ask that you consider a peace offering with Lord Angus. We believe we have much to offer. You will see as much if you take heed and speak with my lord. Halfton was a man of few interests beyond fighting. But at this moment, the cunning of his mind trumped the hot temper of his heart. Gaining more knowledge of the Picts and Dalriadans could prove useful. With little to lose and much to gain, he spoke, where is this Angus you speak of? Is he too cowardly to meet face to face? Or does he hide behind his men and fight from the rear? Halfton's horde laughed at the insult. Lord Angus is not short on courage, rather he is long in wisdom and patience, Diort replied. He is well aware of your savagery and your quick hand with the sword. My lord has loyal men who ensure his intentions are met. We have been sent to seek your presence. If you are agreeable, then we have accomplished our purpose. Your purpose is to stay alive and hope that my men do not press a blade through your chest. Halfton growled. Enough talk. Bring this Angus to me. Diort nodded to the Pict with the white flag. The man turned his horse and trotted back several paces. Then he lofted the flag above his head and waved it side to side. In the distance, a large band of Pict riders slowly crested the hill and advanced. Angus sat tall on his white steed. I am Angus, Lord of the Picts, he announced flanked on either side by a dozen painted men decorated with intricate patterns extending up their arms to their neck and cheeks. The opposing assemblies stood twenty feet apart, glaring at one another, the Picts with their maze of body ink and the Vikings with their ominous horned helmets. The Picts stirred and sized their unfamiliar foe, assessing the Vikings like a badger to a boar. The tension was palpable. After a moment of silence, Halfton spoke, You are Angus. The one who believes a small white flag and a few painted men will stop my warriors from taking as we please. I question your wisdom. 
I am well aware of your zeal to take as you please, but I am here to offer you the very things you desire, yet at a price not so costly, Angus replied. Houghton chuckled. Go on, he permitted. As a leader of men, I assume you have a purpose for the things you pursue. We are alike in many ways. As such, I ask that you come with me, that we may have a word together. Angus drew his horse to the side and gestured for Halfton to follow. With a quick nod of the head, Halfton signalled Codron and then tugged his reins and trotted beside Angus. Codron and Jorand followed. Diort eyed the Viking henchman and coaxed his horse to keep pace, watching the two closely as they moved. When the five riders had separated a dozen paces from the others, Angus stopped his horse. He peered across the field and then turned to face Halfton. This land has much to offer, but you will encounter resistance with every step you take. Resistance can be costly. I can help you achieve what you desire, while ensuring your losses are few. Your interest in protecting my losses is intriguing. You have something to gain, I presume. Halfton replied. Indeed, we both have much to gain, me as well as you. We seek peace and you seek conquest. To secure our mutual pursuits, I ask that you cease any intrusion against the Picts, and in return, I will show you a land to the south, a land abounding in resources and beauty, Angus said, and his mouth arched into a grin. Alone, Kenneth stood on the bank of the stream, watching the twisting waters pass. The stream flowed by that morning as it had every morning. Kenneth had come to the same bank many times before. He had always found an ease in gazing upon the stream, watching its water freely flow, endless and unhindered. Though now, as he watched the water pass, he was struck by the realization that whether he stood at the banks or whether he turned and walked away, the stream would continue to flow, with or without him. On this morning, he struggled. Arabella filled his thoughts. The terrified look on her face when he found her in Taran's grasp, had left its imprint on his mind. He despised Taran for what he'd done, and adding to that, Kenneth hated the thought of Arabella living in despair, despair that would come if he were to die in battle. Kenneth treasured her. Standing alone on the bank of the stream, he determined he would keep her from such sorrow. Kenneth lifted his hand and touched his bruised eye, as if to verify the encounter had happened the previous night. He winced. The pain assured him it had. He bent and picked up a stone from the bank. The cold wet form sat lifeless in his hand. He tossed it in the air and caught it as gravity brought it back to him. Then he gazed at the stone for a long moment before hurling it into the stream. It plunged into the water with a plopping sound and sank out of sight. He remained fixed, watching the ripples on the water emanate like growing circles, from where the stone had disappeared. The ripples quickly faded as the water carried the distorted rings downstream. Kenneth knew he must go. He had to go. He would take his sword and gear and head north with his father, brothers, and the other men coming to Renton, all within a matter of days. They would pursue their enemy and fight to defeat them. He would miss Arabella. He would miss her dearly. Memories of Droston returning home crept into his thoughts, memories of that awful wooden cart and his lifeless body. Is that how Arabella will find me? He wondered. He recalled the day he and Chorich stood on the far side of the barley field that cold autumn morning, seven years back. How the two had desperately wanted to be men, he and Chorich both. A smile level across his lips as he remembered Aidan's wild charge, and how the three of them had wrestled on the rocky path before their father and the men had surprised them. He realized how the men must have seen them as mere children, 
sparring as if lost in make-believe. Kenneth didn't stop the tear that inched down his cheek. Dear Droston. It was the last day he and his brother spoke, the last time he saw him smile. Droston seemed so old then, yet now he seemed so young. He gave so much. Kenneth remembered his father's and mother's agony, and the years it took to recover from the loss. It had been such a bitter providence. Why were life's lessons so hard? What was to be gained, or learned, from such a deep loss? He found no answers to his questions. Kenneth tried to dispel his thoughts and empty his mind of Arabella and the despair that could one day come to her. His duty was to fight. Honor demanded that he stand with his brothers and defend Dalriada. Yet in these noble actions, what would become of Arabella if she were to suffer loss yet again? He shook his head and tried not to think of it. He bent down and grabbed another rock. He looked at the stream. Its water flowed by, pushing downstream between the edges of the banks, seeking something to pour itself into, something larger than itself. Aidan said I'd find you here. Arabella called out from high on the bank behind Kenneth. Kenneth spun to face her, how long have you been here? Only a moment. Kenneth peered at the stream and tossed his rock into the passing water. Can't a man find peace and quiet? I wasn't trying to disturb your peace, Arabella replied and began to descend the bank. I was just trying to find you. I was hoping to talk to you. Some would say that's disturbing one's peace, he said. He tried to act as if he was teasing and wondered if she knew he wasn't. Kenneth, I am not trying to bother you. I only wanted to see you. Well, I came here to think a little, he said. His eyes left the peaceful waters, and he turned and gazed at Arabella, who now stood before him. Thinking about last night? She asked. Yes, last night, I could kill that fool, Taran. Who does he think he is? Kenneth, let it go. He'd been drinking, it was stupid. He even tried to enthrone his father as the leader of Dalriada, as if to be some sort of king, and he wasn't drunk for that. Kenneth ran his fingers through his matted hair. Damn it, why is this happening? What Kenneth? My father, the Vikings, that snake Taran, all of it. He paused, staring at Arabella. You know I'm going to fight. You know we're leaving in nine days. Tears moistened her eyes. She shook her head without speaking, resenting him. Say something. Kenneth exclaimed. Arabella said nothing, she simply gazed at him in disbelief. It's not right, Kenneth said. I will not love you and then break your heart. His words hit her ears and plunged her into a wave of confusion. What are you saying, Kenneth? What do you mean, you will not break my heart? She stared at him, scanning his eyes, his face, wanting him to speak. Kenneth struggled inside, and Arabella reached for his hand, but he pulled away. Kenneth, I will not stop loving you because of some war. Kenneth said nothing. He turned from her and faced the stream in silence, afraid of how he would hurt her. Arabella refused to let him fade from her. She would fight? She brazened and spoke, I think your father is wrong. I think he should make a truce with the Picts. Maybe then the Vikings will see who is stronger and will leave Dalriada. I know you may think that is selfish, I see that. You think it is strong to submit to the Picts. That makes no sense. Why can't you support me, why can't you support my father? 
the men have made their decision. I am saying that I hope they made the right decision. Kenneth, there is so much at stake. And yes, I do support you, and your father, if they believe this is the only way. And if it is the only way, then do not think that your time away from me will cause my heart to grow cold. I'm not going to lose you, Kenneth. I know the Lord will bring you back to me. Arabella, do you realize the heartbreak that many will suffer before this war is over? War brings death, just as it did to my family when Droston died. Do you not see that this same grief will return? You yourself have lived this, more times than one should bear. I will not bring this agony upon you again. I don't understand you, Kenneth. What are you saying? Arabella wiped her eyes before her tears could spill. Kenneth shook his head and then stepped away and walked to the edge of the stream. He gazed down at the still pool beside the bank. The pool's glass-like water displayed an eerie reflection, one that revealed the lost countenance of a young man. Who are you? He asked himself. He hovered over the pool in silence as Arabella stood in watch behind him. The two remained wordless as the stream's water passed. Neither ready to speak. Neither ready to listen. All they could offer the other was silence, while the sound of the trickling creek crept into their ears, entrancing them both. Kenneth? Arabella said with a quiet, questioning voice. Kenneth turned and gazed at her. His face held no expression. You should go, he said. You should go back to Cashel. Kenneth, why are you talking like this? Arabella. Your father will be gathering his men in Cashel. Go to him. He will need your help to prepare things. Kenneth's words were terse and hollow. I must go now. My father will need me here in Renton. He turned and walked up the bank, leaving Arabella behind. Arabella remained alone beside the stream. She stood in solitude as Kenneth slowly disappeared from sight. Turning toward the creek, she watched helplessly as the cold waters passed quietly by. Bang! The slam of the wooden door startled Siana. Chorich, are you all right? She called out from the bedroom where she sat stitching a buckle to a boot. No one answered. She tensed. Chorich. She called again. As she rose from her chair, Arabella materialized before her. Arabella, why are you back so soon? I thought you were with Kenneth. I was with him. And now I am not with him. Arabella said as she stormed past Siana. She hurried about the room and began to gather her things, clumsily shoving the items into a woven bag. What's troubling you? Why are you packing? Siana asked, bewildered. You are welcome to stay with us until the men return to Renton. No, I don't believe I am. Arabella snapped. She skirted across the room and stubbed her toe on the bedpost in her haste. The blow was painful. She grunted and hobbled before inadvertently dropping her bag and dumping its contents on the floor. Without stopping, she snatched her fallen items and crammed them back into the bag. Kenneth insists that I return to Cashel to help my father prepare his men. If that is where I'm needed, then that is where I shall be. Arabella, you can't leave like this, Siana insisted, wanting her to slow down, wanting her to reconsider. You must have misunderstood him. Arabella, you're just upset. Arabella ignored her, only pausing to scan the room for the last of her items. 
Then she pushed back her hair and grabbed an overlooked blouse and shoved it into the bag. Are you afraid he won't come back? Siana asked. Is that it? Arabella stopped. Her lips pursed and she met eyes with Siana. Maybe it would be better if he didn't come back. She shouted and ran past Siana towards the door. Siana reached for her, but she was too quick. Opening the front door, Arabella glanced back at Siana. She didn't say a word, she only shook her head and rushed away, slamming the door behind her. The house went silent. Siana drew a deep breath and stared down at the floor. She walked to the door and stepped outside to find Arabella. Not far away, Arabella sat alone beside an old elm tree, crying. Siana went to her. Tell me what happened, Siana said quietly. She sat down and placed her arm around Arabella. Arabella didn't fight her tears, she fought her sadness, and a past that frightened her. She wanted to be with Kenneth? Why did he leave me, why did he let go? She hated herself for letting him walk away. She hated herself for getting too close. She hated to admit that she loved him as much as she did. The two remained together under the branches of the old tree, staring off into the distance. For a long time Arabella sat without saying a word. Her heart was broken, and silence was her only comfort.